Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Romanoff. Romanoff. I'm Olga Romanoff. Michael Romanoff. He said he was a Romanoff. You know she's a Romanoff. Checking in for a Romanoff. I'm Romanoff. Is he tired of this Romanoff shit? Nicholas Romanoff. I could be a Romanoff. He's Romanoff too. Hello and welcome to Still Watching the Romanoffs. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. We are midway through our examination of the Amazon series, The Romanoffs, from Mad Men creator Matthew Weiner. This week, we will be talking about episode four, Expectation, written by Semi Chellis and directed by Matthew Weiner. At the end of the episode, we will have an interview with the episode star, actress Amanda Peet. The great Amanda Peet. I love her. I do love her. And I think she's amazing in this. And this is the episode that I've been teasing as like my favorite of the whole series. So I'm really excited uh, for us to talk about it. Um, I did also want to send out a call for emails, you know, despite the fact that Richard and I went a little, um, you know, uh, off, off beat last week, off the beaten track <laughs> to, to assess yeah. our feelings about things. Um, I got, a, I got like one or two, um, salty tweets, but I did not, we did not get any, uh, emails. So just want to say, if you want to email us your, your more complete thoughts about anything, still watching pot at gmail.com. I will happily read them out loud. If you are fine with our thoughts on everything and just want to sit back and relax and listen to us. And that's fine too. Hey baby, um, just let it, let it, let it roll. <laughs> let it wash over you. Um, but this, this is an episode, um, you know, that is largely focused on Amanda Pete as a woman who has, who is expecting her first grandchild, um, from her, you know, her daughter is young. She had her daughter when she was young. So she's a very young expectant grandmother. Um, it also co-stars Mad Men alum, John Slattery, um, who we, this is the first 
sort of interconnected thing because we saw this character crop up in episode two, sort of giving uh, a presentation about the Romanovs on the cruise ship um, that Carrie Bechet's character uh, went on. So this is the first like crossover character. And he um, references episode three. Right. The, the, the miniseries that they're making. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, so, he's, uh, he's, he wrote the book that the minis, he's like, yeah, they're film, they're making it into a show in Europe, but I, and I want to write it, but you know, um, so it's just, so I guess this is Weiner kind of tying some knots together. Yeah. But it's honestly, I think it's the most, and maybe that's, that's apropos for episode four. I haven't seen episode five nor episode eight, but I will say from the other episodes that I've seen, this is the most like interconnected. Um, and it's still very light, I would say. So this is a day in the life of Amanda Bee's character, Olivia Wells, and the uh, writer of the episode, Semichellis, has said that it is based on, uh, loosely on Mrs. Dalloway, this uh, Virginia Woolf's novel about, you know, this woman's, a day in the life of this woman who is sort of reflecting back on her life and what might have been if she had taken um, other, other, made other choices in her life. Um, I absolutely loved this episode. I loved it as a showcase for Amanda Pete. Um, what did you think of this episode, Richard? Um, I thought it was good. I, I, I was so enamored of episode three, um, for all its ghosty, weird behind the scenes stuff that this felt like a, not a come down exactly, but a return more to the show's kind of more literal. I mean, I hate to invoke him, but like Woody Allen sized kind of thing, um, which isn't necessarily, I, I don't think that's bad. I mean, in, in that I liked the first two episodes as well. Um, but, um, I think that for me, the, this episode was, was kind of make or break depending on who played uh olivia uh and that it was amanda pete is is great because like i said i love her i've been a fan of her since i don't know god jack and jill remember that wb show yes uh, sure do. she is best friends with sarah paulson because of that show um <laughs> i loved her in igby goes down um and and she's had a weird career where and she's she's talked about this where you know she's had a hard time finding something that quite lands you know or 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 lasts for her and i think most recently she had togetherness on hbo um which was a duplass brothers show with melanie linsky and other people and that lasted two seasons and went away so anyway that's all i i just like seeing her in this kind of role and she's really good in it and even though if it's 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 another sort of study of you know sort of wealthy ennui i really like the the roles that she's been choosing for herself i think there was a time in hollywood where she kind of either tried to or was because of where she was in her career slipping into these like very light comedies she did like a rom-com with ashton kutcher like you know there's there's the uh whole nine yards era of her career like there's all there's all this stuff that amanda pete did but like what she's been doing lately i think is really challenging herself and uh and and i in my opinion she's risen to the challenge in every in every single regard oh yeah yeah huge a huge pete head myself um but yeah, there were some surprises for me in this episode, though. I, I was unfamiliar with the actress Emily Rudd, who plays her daughter, um, Ella, who gets this nice, um, you know, she hasn't been in much, so it's not, it's okay that I, I don't know her very well, but like, she doesn't, um, get much in the meat of the episode, but she gets these nice bookends where you see her like at a lunch early on with her mother and you have one idea of who maybe she is, um, pampered, superficial possibly or, or whatever. And then you get this, just incredible final closing scene between these two women, this understanding because the plot of the, of the episode is, is sort of about this Olivia character wrestling with the, um, the truth that her daughter's father is not 
her husband. And it's something that only, uh, you know, John Slattery's character, Daniel Reese is her daughter, is her husband's best friend and her daughter's father because they had a tiny little affair when they were very much younger. Um, and it's something that she's never told anyone, but John Slattery's character, Daniel Reese definitely knows because his daughter looks so much like his mother. Um, and, but she's never said it. She's never said it to her husband. She's never said it to her daughter. And now this grandchild is coming and it's like the Daniel character knows it's his grandchild, but he can't say anything. Just as we see in flashback, he was at her wedding, but like couldn't say anything. And, you know, that's right. a fairly like melodramatic soap opera potentially sort of thing. But I think it's just done, uh, via flashback, via unspoken words, via conflict, um, in a way that is, that feels really rich. And in the end, the like sort of, O. Henry-esque twist. I don't know why I keep looking for O. Henry twists in these stories, but the twist of this episode is that, you know, her daughter knew and when the Olivia character, you know, is in the hospital, her daughter's like, do you want me to call him? And just calls the Daniel character, her father. And so she knew. And and that, I mean, I don't know. It really, really very much got me uh what did you think of all yeah of that? I, well i think you know in in all that obviously is where the the kind of legacy comes in you know right why is this story part of this series about people who think or are related to um a murdered russian dynasty um well because john slattery's character is and so it's kind of this secret daughter this kind of content this continuation of the line that no one really knows about and then when that person is having their own child and thus the line is continuing, it causes this kind of minor crisis for both people about like, you know, what does this mean? And and basically what does parentage mean? What does lineage mean? You know, does it matter really at the end of the day that the, the man who raised her is not this woman's biological father? Like what, you know, I don't think that, that the episode is really getting into questions of like what fatherhood is at all. But I think that it's just kind of questioning the premise, I guess, in a way of the whole series, which is like, where does it matter? Like where, like what people you're from, why does it matter what people you're from? Isn't it all sort of circumstantial and just how you were raised? And even then we see this initial conflict between the daughter and the mother, um, where she was raised a certain, she was raised wealthy, but she was raised with a certain set of values about work and whatever. And she's, and she's gone against that. So, um, whether that's maybe her old Romanoff blood coming in where she just wants to be, you know, uh, pampered in a palace, I, I, I don't know, but, um, I think it's, it's an interesting, uh, like look at, at, at what, uh, the sort of legacy of, of ancestry means. I think all that's true. Uh, my, I had a slightly different understanding of the plot and perhaps I'm wrong, but I thought it was Olivia's husband who was the Romanoff. Um, and John Slattery's character, Daniel is just like interested in the Romanoffs, but not actually Romanoff. And that's why you get that conversation between Diane Lane, like that Diane Lane cameo as her, like basically sister-in-law. And she's bringing this like elaborate christening dress, because I think that side of the family is the Romanoffs. And I think, I Uh, think the, our main character, Olivia is feeling this weird guilt because she's like, she is, allegedly furthering the line with another Romanoff uh, with his granddaughter, right. but like she knows that this is not a Romanoff baby because it's right. So, so yeah. So, and I feel like that the, the thing still stands. Yeah. It's like, just like, what does it really matter? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, there was a whole thing about, I, f- 
and I should have researched this before even bringing it up, but there's something about how I think the Romanov family, there's a whole thing about how like they had, they actually weren't Romanovs for, for like generations because one of the, one of the czars or whatever was so inbred that he, he was, that he was sterile. And so his wife like slept with somebody else and got pregnant. And so like the line actually died like many generations previous to, um, the, 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 the people who were murdered in 1917. Uh Um, don't quote me on that. I'm going to quote you on that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so anyway, I just think it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think, yes. Now that, now that you, you bring it up. Yeah. John Tenney's character, he, he's the Romanoff, but, um, but still, I think it's an interesting sort of idea. uh, And, and I think that, um, the anxiety that, um, that they're that that particularly Olivia is feeling in the episode, um, it feels uh, human sized. It's not you know. There's a scene where she walks out of her beautiful walk-in closet and confesses everything to her husband, and he's so nice and supportive, and like she says, "I know," you know. He's sort of. It's almost like he forgave her years ago. Um, and I was like, okay, like that's, I guess, you know, well acted, whatever. But then it turns out to have just been a fantasy and instead she just kind of lets things lie. And, um, I think that's so much more realistic and, um, says a lot more about the characters. Um, so I just, I appreciated the subtlety of this episode. Yeah. I really loved that, that fantasy thing. Usually I can smell those coming. You know what yeah. I mean? Like when you're watching an episode, you're like, oh, this is just all in their head. And actually, they fooled me for a little while. And it was actually, I was minorly devastated when it reset. And I was like, oh, like, oh, she did this brave thing. And like, of course, his his reaction was like way too positive. And it, like, of course, it couldn't be. Um, but the I think it, what's so effective about that is the cut back to... Mm-hmm. Um, her character, the Olivia character, like it, back in her changing closet or whatever, having with no- her wet hair, yeah, having not been brave enough to do this, you know, and yeah. it's just like it's devastating. There's also like you know we keep reminding each other that this is this is a comedy. There's also like a good amount of comedy in this episode, chiefly like due to her doing some day drinking. I think, uh, and I think Amanda Pete's really good. This is a really good sequence where she basically gets angry at these younger people who are snickering at her as she's having her solo beers um (laughs) can i I say something about that scene yeah yeah of course all right so that's the flat iron that's like madison square park area Mm -hmm. um that is directly across the street from my therapist's office (laughs) (laughs) where i will go later today as of recording Uh um if there was a nice like outdoor place where you could sit and get a drink right there like I would know about it. That's fake. There's oh. no such thing. It's just a bunch of blocks. So they, they, they fudge that. But anyway, I, uh, but I will say about this episode's ge- New York geography is they got, they did it right. You know, I think that it's kind of funny thinking about how Mad Men in a way was often so hampered by the fact that they, that they filmed in LA. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't really have street scenes. And also it was period. It would have cost a ton of money to, to dress up a, a, an actual New York street to look like how it needed to look. Um, but just in terms of what subway she's getting off of and when she leaves that, that place where she's getting the beer, where she ends up, it's like, yep, that's where she would have walked to. Like that, you know, that's right near there. So they were very careful about the geography making sense, which is a tiny, tiny sort of detail that no one really cares about. But like, I, I just, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you mean there's not a place with a plug in a bush, uh, in, in the middle of downtown New York? Well, there? I would also <laughs> like to know about if that existed too, cause I, I could make use of that. <laughs> would definitely plug my phone into a bush if i could um and, you know and then, and then we should say that 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 sort of sequence continues into her going to the airport to pick up her in-laws uh you know which just i want to mention because i i believe that mary Kay places always welcome 
in any film or television, uh, series. And so she shows up as the, the mother-in-law, um, of, of this woman's daughter. And, you know, it's just, it's just there to be kind of like genially baffled by whatever, uh, it is that, um, Olivia is working through. Um, but always, always welcome a Mary Kate place. Oh. Oh, absolutely. She's, she's also one of the best. Um, I, and I met her once. She's very nice. Oh, nice. Um, I, you know, I, I have to wonder, I love, I love this episode also just for, there's, there's all this guilt, this, all this what if, um, or what might have been, or what should I have done? Um, but then there's also just, I think this very natural and relatable, as you say, sort of human sized drama of trying to grapple with, you know, a, a young woman, uh, which is what I would consider Amanda Pete still to be, uh, you know, becoming a grandmother. I think we've all bumped up against this thing where it's like, I'm not ready to be this age, you know, whatever this age is or whatever this means for other people. I'm not ready to have the label of grandma put on me. I'm not like, for me, I think the last time I remember this happening is either like when all my friends start having babies or like when like your, your first like hardcore wedding season and you're like, Oh, I'm of the age where people get married. Like this is, this is a thing that happens. I think also, um, you know, I, I don't have children um, and probably won't, but um, I think that what that scene with Mary Kay Place where she's talking about, the great thing is, like, you don't have to discipline them. Like, they love you more than your their, their parents. They're talking about having a grandkid and how great it is to have a grandkid. Um, and then, you know, you contrast her excitement about it with Olivia's anxiety about it, partly because she's young and her daughter's young. But I think that in some ways it's also a thing where, when your child has uh, their own child, something is closed, like a like a like a a section, and sort of is, it, it ends. You know where you you're now the focus is now on this other this new child, this 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 one removed from you. Um, and and I I would think that in some ways it, it makes you feel like the narrative of your parenting is over. You know, um, in, in a big way. Uh, so you know I think that there's certainly anxiety about that, especially when you're as, as young as Amanda Pete is or Olivia is. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's uh, I, again I think it's another interesting look at what um, lineage mm. is and 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 what um, what we pass down and and and, and you know if this if her daughter's existence is premised on a lie, does this new baby born of this lie bring something with it into the world? Like, is there, is there a stain on it or something? And and that's never explicitly stated in, in the show or in the episode as a worry, but um, I feel like it's, it's kind of hovering in the background. Yeah. And there's also this, this thread of um, can you love two people, um, which is something that I feel like I've seen, um, explored either like in a shallow way or rather disingenuously. But to me, this feels like a really authentic treatment of like, this is a person, this is a woman who sees two lives she could have had with two men, both of which, you know, she has this great life that she's had with this John, this character played by John Tenney, that she's like, this is my husband. This is the father of my child. This is like, you know, this is a life that has mattered and been worthwhile to me. But there is, there are a number of encounters. You feel the chemistry with her between Amanda Pete and John Slattery. And there's this great scene uh, that's set several years in the past, um, you know, where she like, it looks like she almost said something and didn't. And once again, that's something that I feel like could be so cliche, but is done so elegantly in this story that I, I found it really poignant. Um, what did you think of that thread? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think poignant is the right word. And I think that, uh, you know, 
I know that he didn't write the episode, but I, I think that Weiner is so good at little, at like s- small moments of a sort of curious off angle poignancy. This feels like the perfect opportunity to go to our interview with the great Amanda Pete. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Thank you, Amanda Pete, so much for joining us. I wanted to kick off by asking you, um, I had read somewhere that this episode was based on Mrs. Dalloway, and I was wondering if you and Matt had discussed that when shaping this performance or how that influenced uh, your portrayal. He didn't tell me that. I've actually never read Mrs. Dalloway, embar- embarrassingly. Um, and we didn't talk about that. That's so fascinating. This connective tissue between the episodes of this idea of the Romanoffs um, what What is the significance of that in, in your mind? In this episode, I thought it was, you know, a very subliminal theme, this idea of lineage and legacy and what you're going to inherit. And I think that's part of what's so beautiful about her anxiety, you know, about becoming a, a grandmother, the anxiety around what what is, how is the line going to continue? And also, how is the lying going to continue? Or what effect did that have? Mm-hmm. And, but it's interesting because she really accuses her daughter of being um, bourgeois. But then in the end, you realize that's just her. You know, that wasn't a genetic... There, was, there wasn't necessarily a genetic component to that. There's this theme that keeps coming up of sort of... Um entitlement or exceptionalism like if you if you think you're secretly a romanoff uh then you're secretly sort of exceptional in a way that Mm -hmm. everyone else isn't that's why i think it's so stunning at the end when she when she basically says i knew i know who my father is i know who my real father is yeah that's part of why i think it's so beautiful at the very end I really love how it's book ended with these conver- these mother daughter conversations and how that last moment of understanding is between mother and daughter. What did what did that mean to you? It's the real story in the story is the love is the I don't want to say love affair, but the relationship between the mother and daughter and um it was very very poignant to me when I read it and then when I saw it, I thought that he, it was what I, what I thought he meant by it. And, um, I think the moment when your child sort of sees you as a human being is, and not just like a 
parent figure or a unit, a part of a unit, a parental unit, but rather they see you as a human being with your own heartaches and your own failures. I think that's very moving, especially between a mother and a daughter somehow. When I feel like I had that with my mom in real life, you know, when my mom <clears throat> got divorced, um, there was this immediate, our relationship became a mature friendship very quickly <laughs> because I had terms with the fact that she was unhappy and, um, and therefore she wasn't just my mother. She was like a whole human being with a whole narrative and a whole future and a whole past. And um, to love her truly would be, would I had to see all of that. And I don't know if this is too personal a question to ask. I'm always wary of asking about people's kids, but I'm just wondering um, if, if doing this episode then made you think about what it would be like to have, you know, cause your kids are still quite young, have your own kids, sort of recognize you in that way. Yes, it made me think that about that a lot. And, um, you know, I think it's much easier. It comes more quickly and more easily for children of divorced parents, I think, because um, the divorce forces everyone to, um, it, it, um, it shatters the parental unit, obviously, and all the illusions that, um, that go along with that. So, um, you know, I don't want, I hope that David and I don't ever get divorced, but I still want my children to know both of us, you know, truly know us when they're ready. It doesn't happen for, you know, until they're, I, I think it's better if obviously it happens when you're an adult, but I like in, I felt like Matt and Semi, the writers, they, they were really sort of pointing to that very moment when she realizes that her daughter is an adult and sees her. And Matt is such a, a, an interesting and singular sort of creative person in the world of television. I was wondering if, if John having worked with Matt uh, for so long uh, gave you any sort of advice or preparation or whatever to working with Matt on this. I mean, I heard that it was, you know, you know, it was going to be, you know, like doing a play, like you can't improvise at all. And you, you know, he's very exacting and he has like a very strong point of view. And so I was very ready for all of that. And, um, and I was a really big fan of, of Mad Men. So I was, um, you know, I was more than happy to be, to be that way, to try to, you know, do what he wanted me to do adhere to the vision, not fight him on it. One of the reasons Matt has given for telling these sort of self-contained bite-sized stories versus a long-form serialized narrative is, you know, a lot of people right now are talking about this idea of too much TV. We're in peak TV. We're drowning in content. Uh, if you want to watch a show and you have to watch 20 hours, 30 hours of backstory, like it's just, it feels unapproachable. And I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are as a storyteller uh, about the current state of serialized TV. Is it exhausting to try to keep up with everything? What's going on? Well, I guess that's no fun. And can be really fatiguing, but I think what's really fatiguing is crap. So the fact is he's an incredible storyteller. And if you told me Joe Schmo was going to do an anthology series, I might not be as excited. Absolutely. <laughs> I've, I, I've had way too much of Joe Schmo's work. Um, 
what is it like then? Is there, is there any difference to you working on an episode? You know, cause I know John is in at least two of the episodes that I've seen, but there's very little connective tissue between the various episodes. So what does it mean to be in one part of an episode of a larger thing that isn't as connected as TV usually is? I don't care, really. <laughs> Fair enough. I just wanted to not suck mm-hmm. in my part, and I was assuming that, and continue to assume <laughs> that Matt has taken care of the rest, which is whatever tenuous connections there are between these actual people or thematic connective tissue there is. And um, But I didn't involve myself in in that. And then, so then in the endeavor of not sucking, which you did not suck, um, what, uh, <laughs> what was, what was sort of the most challenging aspect of, of making the episode? Such a big question for me right now. Cause I'm trying so hard to become a better actor and it's, it just has to do with the ability to stay improvisational within within the constraints of the line and the scene and the character. And that's always lately the most challenging thing for me is basically don't be fake. Don't be fake. Don't be fake. Is there something recent that has motivated you to try to push yourself to a different uh, level if you think there is a different level you want to be on? Well, I think working with the Duplasses was a game changer for me because, um, I guess I felt like um, I hadn't been past the ball in a while, in a real way, and um, and in the beginning it was really hard for me to trust them because I was just so used to not trusting anyone, and so I think that um, I was used to holding back a little bit and trying to control my performance more often, and they really forced me to let go because they really push you. They really push you. You know, they, I think I've talked about this before, but they, I mean, they even say like, we want you to go off the rails and, um, they wanted it to be their job, whether I became fake or not to, to be the, you know, the gatekeepers, they wanted to be the gatekeepers. They didn't want me to do that. And it it was the first time in a long time that I really felt like, okay, I'm going to just do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm going to let go. Yeah. How does that then translate over into working on this? I think you have to, you have to let yourself be bad. You have to let yourself be bad in some takes and, and, um, it just, it set, it was like just sort of the beginning. It was just set a precedent for me that I now don't want to go back on with the Duplasses. Are there other um, TV or filmmakers um, on your radar who you want to work with uh, in a way that you think will will push you in those good Duplass ways? <laughs> yeah, there are tons of people I'd love to work with. <laughs> if, um, you know, Matt has already talked about how he wants to do more Romanoffs with Amazon. Um is that is that something that you would want to come back and do another episode of, or do you feel like you want to leave that story right where it is? Okay, let me just put it to you this way. If Matt called me and was like, hey, 
I know it's the dead of winter, but would you mind coming to Winnipeg? I can't give out the script because it's a secret, but just come here and shoot. I would like get a babysitter and go. (laughs) Whatever it is. (laughs) You're not allowed to wear a coat. Please come to Winnipeg. Got it. You're like, I'm there. Excellent. No offense to Winnipeg. I didn't mean to. (laughs) No, you just thought of a a cold place, frigid cold place. Yeah, I was just like, where would it be really hard to shoot outside? (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really appreciate it. And I loved this episode. So I'm excited for everyone to see it. Uh, Thank you very, very much. All right. Well, um, I think that that is everything we want to say about uh, this great episode. Richard, until next week, where can people find you? Oh, just wandering Manhattan, looking for a nice place to sit outdoor and have a little autumnal beer. Um, I'll also be on Twitter at Rylaws and on VF.com. Where will you be? Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. You can find me trying to find a plug in any bush I see <laughs> on the street. Um, and we will see you next week to talk about episode five of the Romanoffs. The Romanoffs. I'm Olga Romanoff. Michael Romanoff. He said he was a Romanoff. You know, she's a Romanoff. Checking in for a Romanoff. I'm a Romanoff. I'm so tired of this Romanoff shit. Nicholas Romanoff. I could be a Romanoff. He's a Romanoff too. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.